Answers Magazine, Volume 16.4, Page 69, Plants Standing Their Ground, by Ron Dudek. In a fallen world where it's eat or be eaten, even plants need protection. Imagine the Garden of Eden in the week after creation. Buzzing bees, fluttering butterfly wings, and the delightful aroma of recently created plants lush with fruits and vegetables. Adam and his bride traverse the garden, innocently strolling through plants of all kinds until they discover raspberry bushes, where they devour handfuls of delicious berries. Around the couple, a variety of animals join in a similar vegetarian banquet. None is in danger of being poked, impaled, or poisoned by their plant feast. Our imaginary scenario is consistent with what we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. Scripture tells us that every creature was to eat plants, and God called his completed creation very good. That's a far cry from what we see today. One walk through the woods can quickly inform your ankles that this very good world has gone bad. As a result of Adam's sin, God cursed the entire creation. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. One of the more visible ways that plants were affected is specifically mentioned in the text. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. Simple pleasures such as picking raspberries became hazardous without adequate protective gloves. It is reasonable to conclude that Genesis chapter 3, verse 18 encompasses more than just thorns and thistles when referring to the effects of the curse on the plant kingdom it would have taken several volumes the length of our Bible to completely explain how every created kind of plant was affected. In fact, we're still learning the terrible yet fascinating ways that plants defend themselves. We think of the weeds that choke our vegetable garden and cling tenaciously to the ground, the parasitic plants that drain nutrition from our trees, and the thorns that pierce our hands. Hordes of voracious plant eaters, including humans, stay alive by chowing down on vegetation. Though we enjoy juicy burgers, fried chicken, savory steaks, and bacon, the meat we eat comes from animals that were, for the most part, plant eaters. And we must balance our diet with the vegetables, fruits, and grains from plants. We also look to plants for products such as textiles, pharmaceuticals, construction material, and chemicals. Most animals and insect species rely on vegetation for food and water. Even bacteria and fungi piggyback on plants to receive nutrients. Everything, it seems, wants a piece of the plant kingdom. You might get the impression that the inclusion of thorns and thistles into the creation served only one purpose, to punish Adam. However, while punishment surely was the primary purpose, these effects also provide balance and protection for plants in a fallen world. Though plants are rooted in the soil, unable to flee, hide, or dodge, the Creator has programmed plants with an array of methods for defending themselves against invaders. Physical defenses. First off, plants possess physical defenses. Obvious examples are the sharp spines found on cacti and the prickles on the stems of rose bushes. These do well to defend against larger herbivores. Other plants, such as lamb's ear, are covered with fine hair-like protrusions called trichomes, which help to ward off many types of smaller insects. Trichomes give kiwis and peaches their fur. Some plants employ a physical defense called raphides. These are tiny, needle-like crystals found in the tissues of such plants as rhubarb and pineapple that can cause irritations inside an herbivore's mouth. Aside from causing irritations, 
the tiny wounds created by raphides pose avenues for infections to enter. But pointy protection isn't the only self-defense plants have. Leaves may be covered in a waxy cuticle that reduces an insect's ability to traverse securely on the leaves while also making the leaf less palatable. Many plants possess the ability to quickly thicken their cuticle layer in response to being munched on. Tree bark is another excellent physical defense. The non-living outer layer tends to be extremely hard, creating a nearly impenetrable barrier. We would be wise not to carelessly remove chunks of bark since trees depend on it to ward off attacks from a variety of pests. Chemical defenses. Many plants fend off herbivores by producing poisonous compounds within their tissues. Some poisons are related mostly to taste, but others to touch. Anyone who has had a run-in with poison ivy understands this touch defense quite well. The leaves and stems of this plant release an oil when something or someone brushes up against them, resulting in an unpleasant allergic reaction. A nasty rash accompanied by maddening itching typically lasts for up to several weeks. Stinging nettles employ a combination of a physical defense, leaves covered with tiny sharp barbs, and a chemical defense. The barbs can inject irritants into the puncture wounds on unwary herbivores, resulting in an irritating rash. As an extreme example, the Australian stinging tree, Dendrocnidae excelsa, releases neurotoxins similar to those found in spider bites. The venom binds to the pain receptors in an herbivore's nervous system, causing excruciating pain that can persist for months. Milkweed plants produce a viscous white substance, hence the name milkweed, that can clog the mandibles of certain chewing insects. This milky substance contains cardiac glycosides, a substance that upsets the digestive tract of many animals. Interestingly, monarch butterfly caterpillars can safely consume and absorb this substance into their bodies, making them distasteful to many animals and birds. Even the cheery geranium turns into a lethal killer, producing an acid in its petals that disables its archenemy, the Japanese beetle. Minutes after a bite, the unsuspecting insect is left paralyzed and defenseless against its own predators. Chemical defenses leap to another level of complexity in this next example. When under attack by insect herbivores, some plants release volatile organic compounds, or VOCs, that help to make them less palatable while also acting as a type of chemical morse code warning neighboring plants of an impending attack. This, in turn, initiates the production of VOCs in the neighboring plants. Tobacco plants release compounds that act as direct repellents to various moths, preventing them from laying eggs on the plants. Some of the VOCs emitted by plants attract parasitoid wasps, the insect version of calling in the Air Force. Tomato plants put out the call when attacked by tomato hornworm caterpillars. Guided by the powerful scent of the VOCs, the wasps fly in and lay their eggs on the marauding caterpillars. A short time later, the wasps' larvae consume the caterpillars from the inside out. You may not have thought of this before, but many of the spices and seasonings that we use to give our meals some zing are the chemical defenses of plants. For example, the mustard many of us enjoy on our hot dogs is very toxic to many animals. Thankfully, the mustard we consume has been purposefully selected to be less irritating to our digestive tracts. Mutualism. Other plants depend on mutualism with ants, a situation like hiring a security team. For example, acacia trees harbor pugnacious ants that attack any herbivore, large or small, that would seek to damage the tree. 
The ants also destroy vines attempting to attach themselves to the acacias, as well as plants growing near the base of the trees. The ants get a nice home from this relationship, and the trees are well protected by the ants. But in a fallen world, both parties in this type of arrangement don't always keep their end of the bargain. The Inga tree, native to Peru, is home to big-headed ants that aggressively drive off insects that might seek to consume the leaves of saplings. Because these small trees grow in a highly competitive environment for space among plants, they can use all the help they can get. The tree invites the ants to reside among its leaves by producing a sweet nectar from tiny bowl-like structures called nectaries. However, in this instance, the ants are open to bribes and can turn on their plant host for a better offer. Caterpillars of a nymphidium butterfly entice the ants to allow them to dine unhindered on the leaves of the plant, inhibiting the inga tree's health and growth. The caterpillars have two tentacle nectaries on their back sides. When the ants tap the nectaries, they secrete a sugary substance that is a byproduct of the caterpillar consuming the leaves. It's a win-win for the caterpillar and the ant, but for the tree, it's a deal gone bad. Hatching a plan. Sometimes, plants deal with an herbivore before it becomes a problem by destroying its eggs. Some mustard plants summon parasitic wasps to lay eggs on the herbivore's eggs. Other plants deploy chemicals that kill the eggs. When cicadas insert their eggs into a cherry tree, a sticky residue fills the egg chamber, inhibiting the egg from hatching. Other plants, including potatoes and beans, are programmed to sacrifice a part of themselves to get rid of pests. When the plant detects eggs on its leaves or stems, it increases the production of molecules that kill the leaf's cells in the area where the eggs are attached. In time, the eggs fall off or dry up. But instead of waiting for insects to lay the eggs, some plants deter the egg layers by making it look as if the spot on the plant is already taken. The vines of passion flowers feature structures that look similar to butterfly eggs. When a butterfly is searching for a place to lay its eggs, it will move on to a less crowded plant. This defensive behavior gives the impression that plants are thinking, but this is clearly not the case. Rather than nerves or a brain, plants use chemicals, minerals, and fluid to respond to a stimulus like motion or attack. The thinking came from an outside source, the mind of God. These mechanisms have been impressed upon the matter that makes up the plant. For example, a motion detector might appear to be thinking when it is set off by the movement of a burglar. But the motion detector did not think at all. It is merely the byproduct of an outside intelligence that programmed it to behave accordingly. We've only scratched the surface of the weapons in the plant kingdom's arsenal, but something becomes clear as we observe these defensive systems. They did not evolve by chance mutations occurring over time. They are intricate and purposeful, the product of a vastly intelligent source. They also confirm the historical account of the fall recorded in Genesis 3. But we must always keep in mind that no matter how exquisitely these defense systems function, they were not operational in the original creation. Thorns, thistles, toxins, and a myriad of other plant defenses were not yet present to cause harm and even death in some instances. The world was perfect and without sin and suffering. But even after the fall, God's command for us to steward the earth stands. The more we learn about how plants defend themselves, the better we can help protect plants from pathogens and pests, securing our food supply, and the many other ways that the Creator allows us to use plants to benefit mankind. We can marvel at how these systems function today. 
but their existence should cause us to look ever forward to the time when, according to Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, the curse will be no more. On the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter exhorted and encouraged his listeners with the following words, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for restoring of all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. How marvelous it is to meditate on the promise of refreshing times to come. But until then, the world is not all thorns and weeds and poisons. We can marvel as we explore vast expanses of forests and exotic jungles. We can enjoy planting and harvesting vegetable gardens or growing stunningly beautiful flowers. And we can relish flavorful teas, hot cups of coffee, chocolate candy, and tasty fruit pies. Even in our fallen world, God demonstrates his loving care through the wondrously diverse, though sometimes perilous, world of plants. Ron Dudick earned his B.S. degree in community health science at the William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey. Ron has been growing carnivorous plants since he was nine years old and has lectured on them at the Creation Museum. <laughs> 